0: Foundation Arvind Gupta. The reason that people are talking about India is massive digitization
2: and financial inclusion that we have done over the last couple of years.
0: Enjoy this week's show. Welcome. Behind the markets here on Business Radio, powered by the Warren School. I'm your host, Jeremy Schwartz, global head of research at Wisdom Tree. My co hosts are Warren Fines Professor Jeremy Siegel, author of Stocks for the Long Run and the Future for Investors, and Lee Chen Ren, the director of Modern Alpha at Wisdom Tree. Please note, I'm a registered representative for Side Fund Services. Professor Siegel is a senior advisor to Wisdom Tree. Our discussion is not tied to the offer or sale of any investment products, and the views of our guests are their own and not those of Wisdom Tree's affiliates. We're going to have a really interesting show today. We're going to have a guest. Uh, talking about the coronavirus, the health issues. Uh, he's an expert on on global health care policy, the U.S. and China. Uh, professor, though, we had a strong jobs report. The, uh, the economy is doing well, but the markets don't seem to like a strong economy today.
2: <laughs> uh, yeah, by the way, this was a, an absolutely great report. Uh, again, you, you had all the combinations you wanted. You had really strong, strong growth. But, actually, unemployment rate ticked up a 10. Now, what's good about that is that it means the labor market is not getting too tight. Uh, in fact, the U6 unemployment rate ticked up two tenths, which, which it takes pressure off of it. But all, all this is made possible. How can you have strong job growth and a, a rise in the unemployment rate? And the uh, reason is that uh, the participation rate hit a new Cyclical high, nine and nine and a half year high. That's what we've been talking about. More people are entering into the labor force. Uh, that's something that we need to keep this expansion going, and it's working exactly as as we uh, want. So yeah, it was good. And don't forget, we had a, we've had a real big run up this week. I mean, I'm not surprised that we have a little bit of profit taking. Uh, you know, uh, today I, 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 it's nothing serious. We also know that, you know, it's the ups and downs of the virus. And, you know, you hear one report and, you know, the, the doctor who had founded it had died. That brings more fear. And then then we get reports it's not that serious. And that's going to bounce around the, the the market for for quite a while over here. People are getting actually now to talk about how much this is going to reduce. No one wants to give the estimates because it's evolving. But it, it's really some are talking about four tenths of a percent off of U.S. growth, Um And more off of global growth, you know, given the fact that this minimally affected relative to other parts of the world. So but if it's brought under control and and seem to be not uh, a serious pandemic, you know, we will see uh, uh, it all come back in the second quarter.
0: Yeah, any any sense on what how the interest rate markets are reacting to it? I mean, is there just some you know there there didn't seem uh, to be a lot of like bullishness on just what the the economy number was doing? It's sort of just sort of trading with equities, to sort of risk off in some way. It's,
2: it's trading it's trading again as as the risk hedge market. You know, fears of coronavirus, people buy those treasuries on a slowdown, and uh, and and then when things look better. And by the way, uh, you know we. We've, we we had a good um, uh, ISM report uh, on manufacturing and a good one on the service sector and jobless claims. Wow, they fell just you know down to that uh, you know two hundred thousand level that had just been you know just a couple of weeks had been lower. So you could see in the Thursday report yesterday that the job market is very strong. So. It wasn't that much of a surprise to me that we saw these great job m- uh, numbers. Everything is 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 going well. Yes, we're going to have a hit on the coronavirus, um, but again, unless it takes a real turn for the worse, uh, the U.S. looks like in a great position to to weather that uh, uh, that uh, that fear.
0: Any commentary on what you see in the political sphere? We had uh, sort of the mess in Iowa. <laughs> any uh, any commentary about what's what's yeah, happening there?
2: Uh, uh, well. Uh, now that I'm, I'm glad you brought that up um I mean, everything that happened in Iowa is probably good for trump i mean the, the democrats are just in a deadlock um uh i mean uh very poor showing of biden who i i think really has no chance now and uh uh sanders I mean, the betting markets are now about 50 percent that Sanders are going to be the nominee and then everyone else. Um, the Bloomberg has come up. This is good for Bloomberg. Um, there's no question about it. And, you know, it's an unknown about, you know, if he, when he really steps in uh, how it's going to go. But, you know, I mean, this is the in the betting markets. Um, Trump has hit 54 percent. He has never been that high. As we know, the Gallup poll um, uh, recent one showed that he has the highest approval rating since uh, the first few weeks of his uh, presidency. Good economy, um, you know, peace and prosperity is very hard uh, to defeat. And when, you know, if the Democrats are going to turn left with uh, um, Sanders, uh, you know, I think that uh, I mean, you saw a preview in the State of the Union market, you know, we're not going to have a socialist takeover of, of the health care, because there's going to be socialism here, socialism there. I mean, you know, they're just going to begin to lay it on. And, you know, I, I the Democrats are, are, are kind of very frustrated. They were hoping a centrist candidate could really uh, take a clear lead, and the fact that no one has... Uh, it's causing them certainly a lot of uh, anxiety and obviously playing into uh, Bloomberg's um, strategy.
0: Yeah, it'll be interesting to watch as this, uh, this unfolds. Any other yeah. cl- clothing th- thoughts on the week?
2: No, I mean, I, I, you, know, I mean the, you know, the truth of the matter is that, you know, good news on the labor front, but the economy is in a 2% range. Uh, and for me, it's hard to see that earnings would be, a, you know, much over 5%, 6 The only thing is there are some pretty good signs, actually, of profits even in Europe. I read an article about uh, earnings are beginning to perk up in, in the long-dormant European market, which, which is pretty good if they begin to pick up. But uh, they seem to be stuck in a 1% growth <laughs> uh, mode, um, you know. With five percent, maybe five to six percent, it can it can mean we can maintain and have modest growth. Again, it's hard for me until the political uncertainties are, you know, whereas, uh, this whole year to see of anything compared to 2019. And um, uh, you know, I you know, I, as I say, I see uh, zero to ten percent. We're up a few percent right now. Uh, a good year, certainly better than bonds, uh, but but um, uh, nothing that compares to last year. Also, again, we're going to see whether there's a turn. Again, I mentioned last week, the flows of money still are being attracted by the tech stocks. Uh, you see that um, NASDAQ hit highs before any of the other ones. Again, that, that tech outperformance has not yet been broken and we just don't know when that will happen but in the meantime uh, you know people who stayed with the uh, with the value stocks are are getting good valuations and good dividends
0: yep that'll be one of the big stories to watch uh, all year thanks for your uh, for taking some time today thank you. Yeah, so we, we know the markets are moving, uh, not just on sort of economic and earnings news. It's certainly right now fears of the coronavirus, this health story, um, and all the activity going on in China and, and how much of that's going to spill over outside of China. Um, we've got a great guest, uh, one of Li Chen's colleagues from the University of Chicago, uh, Yang Zhong Huang from, uh, he's sort of the, at the Global Health at the Council of Foreign Relations. He directs the Global Health Governance Roundtable Series. He's also professor and director of global health studies at Seton Hall's University School of Diplomacy and International Relations. Welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Lee Chen, so this was your your friend invited. You wanna sort of lead us off here with some questions?
1: Hey, um, so thank you. Maybe you can tell us, you know, what is the general situation in China and how it compared to, you know, public health responses to the U.S.? So, you know, give our audience in terms of a little bit of background understanding. Sure, yeah. So the situation in China that
3: we see uh, the um, confirmed cases and uh, fatalities continue to increase uh, nationwide. Uh, although 80% of those increase happened in uh, one city, uh, that is China, Chicago, Wuhan. And uh, uh, in other parts of China uh, that, uh, well, this might be uh, some uh, the positive development there. We have seen uh, that the, the uh, confirmed, the daily confirmed cases uh, and suspected cases uh, seem to uh, fluctuate i won't call it a flat plateau transmission but it seems to uh give us some hope that uh uh, it's not increasing significantly uh so that's probably the uh, silver lining in the cloud um and uh, and the united states uh, continue um to um have imposed these trade restrictions. Uh, I'm sorry, Uh, the uh, restrictions on travel uh, um, uh, on China. And uh, uh, I think the CDC is also planning further response measures.
2: And
3: uh, uh, Trump, uh, President Trump just had a uh, phone conversation with President Xi. So uh, I think uh, so far, uh, now aside, side
1: doing well. Thank you. Um, you in your commentary, you mentioned uh, U.S. has a a very uh, unique. Uh, I am not actually I'm not aware of this uh, health Corp. Uh, like uh, it. It's somewhat similar to Army Corps of engineer, or like the, the group of people who is very specialized in healthcare, care uh, responding to it. And you actually made some commentary. How is this structure uh, unique in the U.S.? Or is it unique or it's just, you know, China doesn't have it. But for example, like UK, other countries, they all also have this. Yeah,
3: it is indeed a very unique. Uh, Institutional arrangements in the U.S. Public Health Apparatus. Uh, It's called U.S. PHS for United States Public Health Service. It's in uniform and uh, about 7,000 troops, but they are embedded in uh, these different health institutions, including uh, the U.S. CDC, uh, the veterans, uh, think, department, uh, the FDA, and NIH. Uh, but uh, the U.S. PHS, uh, the officers there, uh, they are under the uh, leadership of uh, the U.S. HHS, the Health and Human Services. And when needed, they could easily be mobilized to provide support, uh, public health interventions in and out of, of the United
0: States. Professor, when you when you look at the, you know, you made a comment on the flow of patients and reported cases and, uh, you know, the sort of the trend and the growth rate of how many people have the virus and then, you know, how many people are dying from the virus. Li Chen was bringing up a point that just the testing facilities, like, you know, there's not that many confirmed rec- in the U.S. yet, um, but there's also a limited ability to even test for the virus in the U.S., which I did fully appreciate. Um, mm-hmm. m- maybe talk about how you think the testing facilities are, and then maybe about the U.S., if, if, how you see that developing. How do we even get tested in the U.S.?
3: Yeah, yeah absolutely. It's, uh, I think uh, it's very important for the United States to... Uh, uh, keep and scale up in such capacity and deal with a major disease outbreak caused by the coronavirus. In fact, I think it's very important for us to have the capacity to deal with two outbreaks, uh, given as the, uh, the flu outbreak there in this country already uh, taking uh, probably 7,000 lives, at least, uh, uh, for this season. Uh, so... Um, Test, uh, this, the test, these these facilities, is very very important. Currently, I think the test, uh, the capabilities, the testing capabilities, are sufficient, given that we still don't have that many cases. But uh, if indeed the cases just uh, uh, increase significantly, I'm afraid probably existing uh, testing facilities would be overwhelmed. So it's imperative for us to have a sufficient. Now um, there are uh, these uh, testing facilities and personnel available uh, for uh, in preparing for this outbreak.
0: I mean, I mean it's interesting. I mean, the, the coronavirus is getting all sorts of headlines, but it's interesting at your point on that. There's already seven thousand people dying from the flu, um, and probably a lot more than will ultimately for the coronavirus potentially. Um, you know, but I guess uh, this other one has a lot of the headlines today.
1: Yeah, I, and I think uh, um, this uh, it's an uh, underappreciated fact that uh, you know a lot of people don't take flu shots, or even though you know flu it seems it seems to you know kind of um, is really around uh, around us, uh, uh, and this flu season is one of the serious uh, ones compared to the uh, previous years.
3: Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, that uh, this is the thing that the coronavirus is a cause infection where the people show the stem, the flu-like symptoms, you know, so. You know, that uh, without doing the test, you cannot tell the difference between right, whether you have a flu or whether you have the coronavirus. So, actually, the flu shot would help. You know, one, it could help reduce uh, actually uh, the symptoms, you know, that like can make it Midas. And uh, second, it would probably make it easy to differentiate that uh, they are this two type of diseases.
0: Professor, how do you evaluate what's the the re- response from China and the lockdowns of the cities? I mean, they're certainly taking some big measures in terms of shutting down the activity in cities. Um, do you think this has been the appropriate response? This has been overly dramatic? How do you compare their response to this outbreak versus some of their past outbreaks?
3: Well, if, of course, if you uh, just use the international health regulations uh, revised by the World Health Organization in 2005, where China is a signatory nation and the United States too, uh, to apply that to, to measure, right, the, uh, China's response uh, to the outbreak, you know, it is clear that they are uh, cooperating with international community in terms of reporting the disease, sharing the disease-related information. Uh, I think that this is very good, but in the meantime, it also raises the question whether these draconian measures actually... Uh, have violated the IHR, the International Health Regulations, especially Article 43, which basically says, well, you can have this additional measures based on your national law, but uh, you should not allow it to, like, uh, overly intrusive,
1: you know. Uh, so. Talking about overly intrusive, my own parents um, are still in China and my own family, and nowadays they're only allowing uh, one person from one family to go out, um, I think, once every two days, go shopping. So the these measures are, you know, even more like uh, because previously it was mainly in Wuhan and uh, a couple of cities. But now it's even in my own hometown where, you know, there are, um, I think, less than 10 cases. The measures has already actually uh, even more strict in the last couple of days.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that's actually even I heard in, in uh, those countries that do not have any cases, they have imposed those Quarantine measures, social distancing measures, so nobody is basically like allowed to travel freely now. So, this not just these uh, measures applied to Wuhan, but in other parts of China, they have taken measures to quarantine villages, districts. You know, so the entire country is like in a shutdown.
1: Um, I do want to uh, follow up on the question on the different responses in terms of. Um, you mentioned that uh, in the Actually, China's CDC is set up similar to the U.S. You, you have a different level of c- CDC. Uh, in the U.S., it seems like if there's these kind of cases, you know, there's a, somewhat, at least the impression, is it is timely released. While you mentioned that in China, this system of reporting and the, um, somehow um, is a little bit, um, I would say, didn't quite work in the early warning part of, of, of the whole response. Can you... El- you know, elaborate, elaborate a little bit more in, in terms of how China can change and, you know, mm-hmm. how how they might be able to, to do this next time?
3: Right, right, yeah. So if, even though China uh, has the name CDC, which actually seems to be similar to the U.S. CDC, but actually uh, it is pretty much a, a research and supporting institution. It's uh, affiliated with uh, China's uh, uh, now called the National Health Commission. It, its power is very limited. For example, the director of the China CDC uh, cannot uh, announce the uh, nationwide disease situation. Uh, it also, unlike the the US, where you have the CDC director, could direct a report to the president in China uh, that the, the, uh, the um, the power of the CDC directly is very, very limited. But uh, in the meantime, it also, unlike the U.S. CDC, which is a federal agency, does not have branches at the the, the local level. In China, they have these local branches of CDC down to the county level.
1: So who in China can announce that if if the Chinese CDC uh, cannot announce cases? Well,
3: it's up to the the National Health Commission to announce nationwide cases, and for like the provincial level cases, technically uh, legally the uh, provincial health authorities can announce uh, the cases in their province.
0: Let me just reintroduce our guest here. We're talking with Yan Zhou Huang, uh, who is a who's a senior fellow for the Global Health at. Ed- the Council of Foreign Relations, uh, where he directs global health governance, uh, the roundtable series there. Uh, and he's sort of an expert on global health care policy and what's going on in China now. Um, and and uh, Dr. Huang, when you, when you think about the outbreak and how it started, there's a lot of different sort of speculations on where it started, what's going on there. Any, any As you think about, as you've been tracking the story, anything on on how it's developed or any sort of commentary on, on where where this all started from?
3: Well, this is still I have to say, still pretty much shrouded in mystery, right? Uh, now it seems that m- many uh, 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 scientists, researchers uh, believe that uh, from uh, animal source. But initially, they uh, blame it is the uh, the uh, the bats. Yeah, <laughs> the eating eggs. bat soup. Uh, yeah, the snakes. Now this is a new uh, another animal source that's being identified. Uh, so, uh, but, but, uh, you know, there's no consensus on the animal source. There's even also speculation, right, that, uh, uh, might be potentially, although there's no smoking gun evidence here, that there may be, uh, like a biosafety accident uh, linked to that the Institute of Wuhan Virology, uh, which houses the nation's uh, first and only uh, Biosafety Level 4 lab, you know, which is used to, to handle the most dangerous pathogens.
0: Right. So that maybe they were trying to develop vaccines or, or cures to these things and something happened and and something happened with the bats that got out there. That, that I've, I've read those stories, the, the speculation. Right. That... <laughs>
1: um, if if this becomes a pandemic, I mean, I I think this right now there's possibly two possible. Ones. One is like SARS, you know, by end of May it kind of dies out when the weather gets better. That's one scenario. The second scenario will be uh, a little bit like 2009. Um, the the H1N1 virus in the U.S. Uh, ultimately, there was no no way to control it, um, and the vaccine was you know the solution one year later. Like between these scenarios, w- which one would you you know? Give a little bit higher odds, and uh, like, how? What's the chance of a vaccine coming along soon? Yeah, I
3: think very likely. We're, I know it's kind of risky to make the prediction, but it is likely that the scenario could be between uh, the two: the South scenario and the H one N one scenario. That uh, uh we know that the virus died out, burnout in May. And actually, even before the government uh, implemented the large-scale uh, quarantine measures, um, uh, if my memory serves, uh, the uh, H1N1 uh, pandemic, it's considered a pandemic, but it was really not that dangerous. It's, uh, uh, the case fatality rate is actually very low, lower than the seasonal influenza uh so the united states well that uh, the even though that uh, this the uh, the vaccines uh, uh, came out uh, but by that time the who dis- distributed this vaccine to the uh a country the other uh, de- countries in the developing world actually most of the uh the, this the cases already start to drop you know this is uh, the the virus it was burning out by that you know, so I, my my it is possible to develop into a pandemic, but uh, I still hope that uh, the government can contain the spread of the virus. You know, hopefully, uh, by um, maybe um, like um, like another month, say, we're going to see uh, that. Cases started to drop um, even in Wuhan uh, of course that still takes <laughs> time for it actually to to die out uh, to burn out you know so uh, uh, that is probably the, the the best case scenario
1: um so right now. Still, most of China is on so-called uh, imposed the vacation, right? But I think uh, ultimately people, you know, will have to go back to work. Um, exactly. Do you like? Do you think this uh, could pose a, a extra risk um, for for? Yeah. Um,
3: so, but currently, the impact is basically on the consumption side, uh, consumer side, right? So, the, the the concern here is that if this the spread continues. It might affect the supply side or right, labor side. And then now, you know, that's just, the government hopes that the people are going to be back to work uh, next week. Uh, but the, the, we actually, one of the concerns is that whether there are enough masks actually for them to wear when they be uh, uh, back to work because. Currently, China only has the capacity of manufacturing 20 million masks a day. And uh, because it uh, accounts for uh, half of the world's uh, capacity of manufacturing masks, so you can't basically rely, count on uh, the support from other countries. Uh, but they look at the demand side, but the, uh, you, the China now, they, I think, needs 1.8 billion Masks per day. So, in order to accommodate that, that you have to either ask the people to come out only once each uh, six days, or uh, maybe uh, use one mask for six days. You know, so uh, that is going to be a bottleneck, you know, for the resumption of uh, the uh, the production in China. Uh, and uh, I just uh, can't imagine, right? That if you have the workers, you know, like without masks, right? Oh, not working those on the assembly lines, and the, the, this this crowded atmosphere itself could be photo ground for the spread of the virus. Yeah,
1: I think this is uh, really not have picked up enough that actually it's the it's one of the bottleneck is masks, like no, not in, not enough capacity. Uh, but.
0: Any other suggestion for people who are listening in? And, you know, we don't have a lot of cases in the U.S., but as these, this spreads, anything you suggest for people as, from a policy standpoint? Well,
3: I think uh, the, the best solution is due to, uh, prep- I think uh, for now, it's, certainly important for the state, for the government, to increase their search capacity, uh, including uh, to uh, the uh, scale up of their testing capabilities. Uh, but in the meantime, at individual level, I think it's important that for everybody be aware of the risk. Uh, to learn to protect themselves. You know, this is, the method could be very simple, right? Wash hands as diligent as possible. You know, bring hand sanitizers with you. And uh, try, you know, if possible, uh, avoiding, uh, you know, the uh, crowded places, right? Uh, but I think this is no time to be panicky. And take um, a flu shots.
1: Flu shots.
0: Flu he, shots. Li Chen's exactly. looking at me here. I got to get my flu <laughs> right. shot. Right.
3: <laughs> But but again, it's not time to be panicky. You know, I am kind of uh, concerned. If like everybody, when you see everybody's wearing masks, you, you you that mask is you know it's uh, uh, it is the method for protection, but it's also a symbol of panic.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. I think and when uh, you're sick, you do want to wear a uh, mask. I was a little bit sick last week, and I did wear the mask. I felt a little bit guilty, you know, but uh, I decided to wear one because I mm-hmm. I was sick.
0: That's right. Well, this has been great, Dr. Huang. Any other sort of areas of research, focus uh, for people to follow, stay in touch with what you're working on, or any other final comments of of what you're working on at the uh, Council of Foreign Relations?
3: Okay. Well, I think uh, I I want to (laughs) just say a couple of words about uh, the... International support right, for China's uh, uh, anti flu, uh, anti coronavirus efforts. I think uh, uh, the state is mobilizing the entire country, the you know, society, uh, in uh, containing the spread of the virus. I think we should re- realize that the, what China is doing is also good for us here. Right. So if they are successful. We're going to be spelled a outbreak or a pandemic. If they are not, we're going to see what is happening, probably going to uh, happen here. So it is very important we understand what is going on, show our understanding, and show our support if possible, uh, uh, instead of uh, uh, turning to uh, those uh, uh, irrational and unreasonable efforts or uh, uh, to uh, uh, overreact to what is going on there.
0: Very good, Professor Wang, thanks so much for joining us on the show today. Thanks for listening to the Behind the Markets podcast. If you want to learn more about WisdomTree, visit WisdomTree.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at Jeremy D. Schwartz. I'd like to thank Patty Hall for producing our live program on SiriusXM channel 132, and our podcast producer, Daniel Bruno. Join us next week for another edition of the show.